Hello, Westgate Church. My name is Josh Fox, and I'm a worship pastor here at this church. I also oversee our Anthem School of Worship. And I am so thrilled to be here today to get to wrap up this amazing series we've been in through the book of 1 Thessalonians. We'll wrap that up today with this final, uh, final thoughts from Paul. Well, I want to share a story. A couple of years back, I went on a trip, and I'd be gone for a couple of days. I have three sons, uh, 10, 8, and 3. And I was going to be gone for a couple of days, and I knew this was going to be a lot of strain on my wife, Danielle, while I'd be away. And so I grabbed my older boys together, and I kind of pulled them together right before I left. And I said, hey, hey, hey guys, I got I to gotta talk with you guys. You know, you know I'm going to be going away, and, and there's going to be a lot of pressure on your mom. I need you to be nice to your mom. I need you to pick up after yourselves. I need you to look out for one another. If one of you hurts the other person, would you please just apologize? And then you, would you forgive them? And I, I need you guys to step it up here, all right? I want to make sure you're kind to one another. Don't say anything mean to mom, especially, all right? I, I want to come back and I want to hear a good report, right? And they're looking at me like, and I'm like, come on. And then I left and I went away and then what happened, I'll share later. Now, why did I stop and, and, and give them some instructions, some closing thoughts that were a little bit challenging for them? I could see it in their eyes. I did that because I didn't want their mother to kill them while I was gone. <laughs> no, I didn't do it because of that. Although uh, I did it because, not because I, I wanted to give a bunch of rules to them that when I came back, I could be like, oh, you broke this one, you broke this one and shame. And I didn't do that. I didn't give them to me because I wanted to lay on them a big heavy list of responsibilities that I knew they could never accomplish. I didn't do that. I gave them those instructions because I wanted them to experience peace in the home. I wanted them to get some important things done because they had some things they needed to get done while I was away as well. I wanted them to have the benefit of having a healthy relationship until I returned. That's why I gave them those instructions. And it's exactly why I believe Paul gives the same kind of instructions to the believers in Thessalonica before, as he's talking about, Jesus is one day going to return. And, 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 and in light of that, there's some ways that we are to be living and ways that we are to be relationally connecting. And there's some work that we got to get done. And it's to our benefit that we live according to the dream and design that God has for us. And so Paul lays out some pretty clear commands in the last part of this letter. It's interesting because throughout this letter, Paul's been so affirming and encouraging because the Thessalonians are pretty amazing. And he's like, you guys have been doing amazing. Yes, you're being persecuted, but you're standing your ground and you're continuing to share about Jesus and you're continuing to do the work of the kingdom. And it's amazing. And then near the end here, he's going to come in pretty strong, and he gives 18 imperative commands in just 16 verses. That's a lot of commands. Let me read them for you. 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. 
live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul is saying here, you guys are doing great. I'm encouraged and in light of Jesus' return, these are some things that we want to be living out. You guys are doing this, but I want you to do it even more. And be ready, be observing your life and going, is this happening in my life? It's helpful to know Paul's tone here. It's not one of these tones of, tone of voice where he's kind of talking down on him and like, hey, you got to do this or else. He's actually got a very encouraging tone. We know that because he uses this word urge. We urge you, and it's this word parakaleo, and it has this idea of someone coming alongside you, not in a like, do it or else. It's a, hey, you know what? You got this. There's some things that I, I want to see you do, and I know you can do it. Let's do this. And, and, and I, want, I know you can do it. There's a confidence in Paul's tone, and that's helpful. And what's interesting about all these imperative commands is that they all have to do with relationships, if you look at all of them, they're all relational in some way, shape, or form. In fact, if you sort of start thinking about what if we didn't do these things? What if we didn't live out any of these? Here's what would happen. Let me just, let me just read the list. We would become a group of people at odds with each other, divided, holding grudges, seeking revenge, disrespecting leaders, ignoring God's word, inviting evil, complaining, self-loathing, Self-reliant, not praying, impatient, mocking the weak, discouraging the discouraged, allowing dissenters to create all kinds of havoc. Basically, we would become the embodiment of Twitter. And it's a good thing that Paul says, no, there's some different ways that we can live. And if you look at these, all these imperatives, you can group them into kind of three main groupings. There's how we relate to the leaders among us. There's how we relate to the people around us. And there's how we relate to God who is above us or in authority over us. And I want to start off with the people around you. How you relate to the people around you. In order to be blameless at the coming of Christ, we've got to shift our focus from a self-absorbed perspective on our life, like kind of a narcissistic, like everything's about me and I just know everything about... And, and we've got to shift it from that to a service perspective. How do I serve other people? I got to shift from selfishness versus service and shift towards service. And let's just read through some of the ways that we can do that. He says, warn those who are idle and disruptive. The Greek word he uses here is this idea of a soldier who's like out of step with the ranks of the army. I mean, they're just creating all kinds of problems. 
And it's the idea of the, the army going, hey, let's go. We're going this direction. There's some important work to do. We've got to do this in sync. Let's go. And Paul doesn't say, church leaders, you're the ones to warn them. He actually, as Clifford would say, all y'all got to warn them. It's everybody's responsibility to go, hey, let's go. This is the idea of if someone is maybe making choices in their life that are destructive to themselves and others around them, this is the idea of having the care and the love to say, I'm not going to be about myself. I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to talk to my friend. If you have a relationship, obviously that's, and say, hey, I'm seeing the direction you're going. It's destructive. You got to turn around. It's the idea of having enough love and care that you're willing to be candid with that person about the path they're on. This is what it means. That's an example of what it means to warn those who are idle or disruptive. Paul continues, he says, encourage the disheartened, those who are timid or they're just discouraged. So many of us are discouraged right now. Some of, so many of us are maybe timid. I'd be timid if I was living amongst the Thessalonians and some of my friends were killed for their faith. I'd be hiding. And, and so Paul is coming to them. He's saying, hey, encourage the disheartened. You know, embolden the timid. And it's amazing what, what can happen when people who are being persecuted start to encourage others. It's incredible God, what God can do through that. I actually had lunch with a guy who became a friend of his. He's a worship leader in Vietnam. His name's Tuan, and he was telling me that when he was, he was visiting the States for a few weeks, and he was saying, Josh, when I would lead him worship at Vietnam, not so much in today's, but 10 years ago, a little beyond that, I would be afraid every time because occasionally I would be beaten after we led worship as some military, you know, police would come in and see us, and they would beat us. And I was just thinking about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. He was describing it to me. I can't imagine that. Like as worship teams, we're like, great song, wonderful. He's going and being like, am I going to get beat up today for, for leading worship? And he was talking with me and he's like, he's like, I need to get back to my country soon, sooner than later. And I'm like, why? <laughs> like you got to stay, you know, stay here with us. He's like, I need to get back because in the United States, you face temptation more than persecution. You're tempted by all kinds of things. Where I'm from, I face persecution. And he said this, what I come to realize is that temptation is weakening my faith, whereas persecution strengthens it. And then he looked me in the eye and he said, I choose persecution. And I will never forget that. Here's a person who is under like fear of getting beaten up for leading worship. And yet he's encouraging me and lifting me up and, and, and the timidness in me just began to roar. And I just began to go, yes, I want that kind of faith. Paul is saying, do that to one another. Encourage the disheartened. Embolden the timid. He continues. He says, help the weak. This isn't just physically ill, or it could be, but it's not just that. It's also those who are just brand new believers in Jesus, right? And it's like, hey, they got some growth. Come alongside them and help them in their growth. He goes on and he says, be patient with everyone. This is one of those ones that hits you square in the eyes. Like, everyone? Wow. Are there people in your life, like in the church, or it, where you're like, they kind of test your patience a bit, right? If you're totally honest, as we're getting back together in live, and you're seeing that person, you're like, and you kind of beeline over here and to kind of avoid them. Anybody? I mean, or is the person maybe that you're sitting next to, the one that kind of, you know, no, don't raise your hand for that. But the idea here is that we are to be patient with people no matter what. 
And the beautiful thing about the church is that we're all so different. God seems to love different. He loves it. He loves different. And it's a celebration of different. There's going to be people who, you know, dress differently, listen to different music, vote differently, have different opinions, think differently about things. That's the beauty of the community of faith knit together by the Holy Spirit. That's the beauty of the different. What that means is we need to be patient with one another's differences. We live in a culture today where if someone's different and, and it's offensive to you, you just cancel them. And Paul says, church, we can't have a cancel culture. We have to have a patience culture, a patience culture as we wait for the return of Jesus. He goes on and he says, make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. This is a tough one. But when you're hurt by someone, when you're hurt, not if you will be, you will be. That's what happens in families, even good families. People can hurt one another's feelings intentionally and non-intentionally. And when that happens, our desire is, I want to get them back. And Paul is saying, ah, forgive and let that go. That's a way that he's challenging us. In all of these relationships, the people around us, it's a movement from self-absorption to service. Because if my eyes aren't out here, I can't see who's timid. I can't see who's disheartened. I can't see somebody who I might need to encourage or warn. My eyes are on, on others. Now I can serve them. Then I'm able to do that. So how can you serve somebody this week? It might be that someone's the Spirit of God's bringing someone to your mind right now. If you're like, I got, I, there's someone I can encourage who's disheartened and I'm going to call them or send them an email. Maybe this is more challenging. Maybe there is somebody in your life. You're like, they're making choices that's, it's going to hurt them. And, and, and I am going to warn them in love, not in a judgmental, you're, in love, in care and saying, hey, I, I care too much about you. And, and, and the choices you're making, I, you, look, Here's the path to life and, and bring them back to scripture. That's the idea. And maybe that's you this week. I, I don't know, but it could be. If not you, who, who else? What would it look like for you to serve somebody this week? Well, then we get to the second category of, of, of people that Paul's talking about, relationships. He, he says, uh, we are to, to uh, uh, what is it? Honor, thank you. Came to my Rolodex in my brain. We are to honor the leaders among us. And it's, Honor versus criticism. Those are two very different things. He kicks it off. He says, we ask you, brothers and sisters, acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Here Paul is saying there's leaders among you, people who God has gifted with a gift of spiritual leadership and they're there and they're caring for you and they're cheering you on and they're encouraging you and they're challenging you at times. These are the leaders among you. He says to acknowledge them, to honor them. In our context, this would be pastors, life group leaders, ministry team leaders. There's all kinds of fact, many of you leaders are listening to this right now from your homes. Leaders in our church, we are to honor our leaders. And I gotta stop and just say, I am so impressed by Westgate Church in the ways that you have honored me. I'm one of the leaders around here. And I can't tell you how meaningful it is when I've had people leave a voicemail. One guy actually left a voicemail. He's like, you know, hey, got your voicemail, but 
I'm just going to pray for you for a while. And he just prayed for me for a while, like a few minutes. I just kept listening and listening later. I'm like, wow, he's just praying for me. He doesn't even know me that well. I've had many of you pray for my family and my kids. My third child, when my third child was born, many of you brought meals to my family's home. That was a way that you honored me. Some of you have spoken words over me that I will never forget that have changed me. And you've honored me. And I just want to say thank you for being the kind of church that honors your leaders. It's really important. And it's, it's really life-giving. And it's something we're called to. Thank you for that. I don't know why exactly, but it seems especially in today's world, it is so easy to fall into criticizing leaders versus honoring them. It's just so easy to look at the, pe the people running all around, trying to lead things, right? Especially when you're not involved at all. <laughs> this is even more easy. And you're not involved at all. You have no buy-in. And you're just seeing people. It's just so easy to go, why are they doing it that way? Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? You know, if I was leading this thing as you kind of get your recliner chair just perfect, I'd do it so much better. Right? It's just easy for that to slip in, that kind of snarky little thing. It just creeps in. Even me as a pastor, I can look around and go, ah, I could do that better if I was leading that. And this pride can sneak up in me when I'm not careful. And it can get me. So how do we honor our leaders? A couple of things practically for you this week. How can you honor a leader? Acknowledge them. Paul uses this interesting word when he says acknowledge your leaders. And it's this word oida, which means to know them, to know them, to be aware of them, to recognize them, know them. Because leaders can oftentimes be very lonely people. And some of that's a given with leadership. You're out in front, you're having to make tough decisions. In fact, Elizabeth Elliot, well-known author and speaker who, whose husband was killed brutally. He was sharing Christ with a tribal group and they killed him. And then she went to that same tribal group in Ecuador, spent years there sharing Jesus. And she gave her life for that. But she has that quote, loneliness is a required course for leadership. And it's true. But oftentimes, leaders can sort of stay in that loneliness. According to the Schaefer Institute, 70% of pastors constantly fight depression. Another quote from the Schaefer Institute, 70% of pastors say they do not have one close friend. Think about that for a moment. And you see in the news, prominent pastors of large churches who've taken their lives in the last year and two years, and it's heartbreaking. Oftentimes leaders just want somebody to notice them, to know them, so that they can let their guard down and be, be themselves and really share what's going on. When they have people that love them that way and they have the freedom to do that, it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so that's why I'm going to give you Andy Gridley's personal cell phone number right now. Go ahead and grab a piece of paper and a pencil. This is, no, just kidding. Another way we can honor our leaders is to pray for them. Pray for your leaders. If you find yourself sort of criticizing leaders more than you pray for them, you're, something, something's off. Something's off. Engage with your leaders. When a leader gets up and, hey, here's the vision, lean into that vision with your energy. Lean into it. Lean into the vision. If you've got a conflict with a leader, talk to that leader. <laughs> Don't talk to other leaders about that leader. Don't talk to other family members or friends about that leader. Talk to that leader. Sit down with that leader. Have lunch with that leader. <laughs> like I did when I was in my 20s. 
and a leader, a senior pastor, made some decisions I didn't like and was hurtful. And, and, and I, other people were talking all about it, all behind his back. And I just said, that ain't right. And I had lunch with him. And I said, this, I think this is a lousy decision you're making. <laughs> you know, to my senior pastor, who's, you know, 25 years older than me. And I just had to share it, right? And just being open and honest and just sharing. And then he was able to share his perspective. And I was like, ah, hadn't thought of those things, right? So I'm starting to learn a little bit too. Maybe I don't think I, maybe I don't know it all like I thought I did. And you know what's interesting is out of that little lunch and that little conflict and that little direct conversation, I still have a friendship with this guy decades later because that's how relationships stay intact as we wait for the coming of Jesus. When a leader wounds you, forgive them. This is a tough one. Leaders are going to make, and I'm not talking about abusive spiritual leaders. Those people need to be confronted. Those people need to be out of leadership. Okay, that's a different conversation, different message for a different time. I'm talking about leaders who are leading in love, who are caring for you, who have your interest in mind. Servant leaders. They will make decisions that you don't like. They will overlook you. They will say things that were hurtful. They will hurt you. We're just people. Leaders are people. Broken people. And I had a group of people that, that wounded me in that way. I sound like a baby. I'm talking about all my wounds. And, and this group of elders, it was just like, I didn't like what they did and, they, and it hurt my feelings, the decisions they made. And, ah, and here I was at this staff leadership retreat. This was 20 years ago, not at Westgate, a different church. And I was there and uh, the interim pastor, who is this British guy named Peter Wilkes, South Hills community especially will know him. He was a, one of the main pastors there and it's heyday. Peter Wilkes, who is this British guy comes over to me and he could tell I had like some bitterness in my heart. He kind of knew it. I can't explain it. Holy Spirit, I think, gave him insight. And he came over and he's like, Josh, are you ready to forgive the elders? And I'm like, no, I'm not. And he's like, you've got to forgive them. And I'm like, okay. And I'll never forget, he grabbed my head and he pulled my head into his head like this. And he started in my ear, he started whispering. He's like, repeat after me, Lord Jesus. And I began to pray. I didn't pray in a British accent. He'd be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I just began to pray along with him. And he's like, I forgive them. And I'm like, I forgive them. And I don't like what they did, but I don't hold this anymore against them. And I cannot tell you the freedom that I felt in that moment. And I needed help. I couldn't do it on my own. I needed someone to help me. I was, I was weak. And there was freedom that came when a leader does something. Forgive them. Now, finally, Paul gets to the relationship with God. He's talking about people around us, leaders among us, and now he's talking about God above us. How do we relate to God above us? And he gives some things that almost seem like impossible. He says, he says rejoice always. Like, what the heck? Rejoice always? I had to look up that word in the Greek. You know what it means? It means always. Rejoice always. Now we're going to go to a whole teaching series on joy in just a few months. It's going to be amazing. So we can't dive too much into that. But the idea here is that it's not that you forsake or deny grief because life is hard and we're going to grieve. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.10, our hearts ache, but we always have joy. Our hearts ache. There's no denial of grief in this life. And yet when we know Jesus is going to come back, he's going to set everything right all pain is going to be gone. There will be no more shootings. There will be no more discrimination. 
there will be a new heaven and a new earth. When we have that in mind, it's like, okay, yes, it's difficult. And yet we can grieve and have joy. That's the kind of rejoicing always that we're talking about. He goes on, he says, pray continually. This is the idea, I think, of an astronaut going around a space station with a giant air hose connected, right? And it's like, without that air hose, she would die, right? It would just be over. And that's the idea of having this constant connection, reliance on God. That's the idea of praying continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, no matter what happens. Wow, this is something that we're called to. And after this, like I read in the scriptures, and your Bible probably has it this way, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, followed by the statement, which sounds like a new command, do not quench the spirit. But as I was talking with Jay Kim this week, he goes, it's interesting because the original rendering of that statement in the Bible has it this order. Paul says, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus the Son, do not quench the spirit. And Paul, in a sense, is trying to say the Trinity is at the very core of this whole thing. God has a will for your life. It's manifest through Jesus Christ, and it's played out in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why he gets to the very end of the verse, and it's like a mic drop moment. He says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to this. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. You can't do these things. I can't do these things. There's no way. I can't. You can't. But God can and God will. That's how Paul wraps this amazing letter up. You know, I told you the beginning of this thing about that time when I went away and I grabbed my boys. I say, there's some things that I need you to do. It's important. There's work to be done. You guys got to, there's some things that you got to get done. And I want you to benefit from having a house that's peaceful. And I want to be back. And I, I, I want to come back to smiles, you know. I don't want to come back to tears. I, I want to come back to the warmth of a peaceful community, a peaceful family. I don't want to come back to fires that I got to put out. Well, I came back. And everything was utter chaos. I'm just kidding. I came back and, and they actually did really well. There was, some, there was some fights. There was some things. There was some stuff that didn't get done. But overall, they did amazing. And I was really proud of them. In fact, when I, when I walked in, I was like, hey, guys, I'm back. They completely ignored me because they were playing their video games. No, this time, actually, I came in the door and they, uh, I said, guys, what's And they ran over to me and, and they jumped up into my arms. And I was like, I missed you guys so much. I love you. And they're like, oh, we miss you too, Dad. We miss you too. And I'm happy. It's all three of them. It's just like, it's crazy. And it was in that moment that, that, that this thought came to me that, you know, the whole goal of me giving some instruction um, was, yes, it was to their benefit. Yes, it was to provide some peace. But, but the whole ultimate goal was that I would come back. You know, the ultimate peace would come when, when, when the family was brought back together, when I returned, and then we could have this embrace again. That's the ultimate peace. That's the ultimate goal that everything was pointing toward. And that's the same thing with you, follower of Jesus, you, church. It's the same thing. The ultimate goal is that Jesus will one day, and it will happen, 
He will return and everything will be whole because he'll have come home and he'll make a new heaven and, and a new earth. We are the people of the promised embrace. That is who you are. That is who we are. And that is our hope. That is our peace. That is our future and the future of everything. God, thank you for this promise. Thank you, God, that you will return, that you will set things right. Thank you, God, that we are the people of the promised embrace, that your presence is with us through your Holy Spirit, that it's not by our efforts that these things can happen in our lives, that it's all your power moving in and through us not just so that we could have harmony in a peaceful, beneficial, flourishing community, but God, so that we could also get the work done that you have for us to get done. We wanna be about your work, loving our neighbors, loving you, loving one another. Thank you that your spirit's in us and you will do it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.